This is a Federal News Network podcast. The armed services have been dealing with a number of important issues in the past year, issues they'll need to keep grappling with in the year ahead, 2022. Among them, how to assess and mitigate the occurrences of sexual assault within the ranks and how to lower the persistent rate of suicides among soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines. Federal News Network's Scott Mossioni has been covering these topics, and he joins me with an assessment and look ahead. Scott, you spent a lot of effort and time covering the sexual assault issue that the military faces. All of the armed services have one way or another a problem with this. And how would you characterize the progress they made in the past year and some of the steps they and Congress also involved here Summarize what it all looks like for us. Well, we saw a lot of changes in the sexual assault issue within the military. First of all, they had an independent review, which came out with more than 80 different recommendations for the Defense Department on how they can really start to change themselves and start to crack down on sexual assault and harassment within the military. The Defense Department is already starting to work on those, but they say it's going to take years before they can actually implement every single one. That has some lawmakers concerned, and it's going to be something we're going to have to look at in the future to see if lawmakers are going to ask DOD to do some some of these things faster. Those include making it easier for people to report sexual assaults, making better pathways for those, including some better resources, changing the way that, that sexual harassment training happens and uh, changing the way that, that people think about sexual harassment to begin with. One of the other things that we saw was that the lawmakers wanted to change the way that sexual assaults and harassment were prosecuted within the military. Kirsten Gillibrand really spearheaded that effort. She didn't get exactly what she wanted, but she did get a sort of watered down version of what she wanted in which there's a special investigations unit that goes and looks into these sex crimes within the Defense Department, but not all serious crimes. So there are some that are still non-military crimes that are kind of taken out. Her worry was that this would become sort of a pink court uh, where people would say that uh, women or people that are getting sexually assaulted are being handled you know, with kid gloves. She was worried that this would kind of stigmatize the process instead of giving it the legitimacy that it deserves by having these other serious crimes put in the same category. So it's safe to say then that the level of awareness, the level of sensitivity, and to some extent, the military leadership knows that Congress, even though they didn't get what they wanted, or at least some members did not get what they wanted, are nevertheless onto this whole thing. And so do you expect the coming year to bring more concentration on this and maybe some programs within what the law says now on the part of the military services? It's certainly there within the leadership. And, you know, we don't know if this is necessarily lip service to some of the more cultural things that are changing or if the Defense Department is actually going to be working on this. Like I said, these uh, recommendations are going to be taking years when some of them really shouldn't. And if you go online or go into some of the uh, units, there's still very toxic environments within the culture of the military. There's lots of things online where you see these terrible memes or you know terrible comments about women, about other military people, about hazing and those sorts of things. So it really it falls on the Defense Department to crack down on this behavior, to change the way the Defense Department works. And they're going to have to do that, especially as they make this shift toward facing a near-peer competitor like China and Russia, because 
They need talented people who don't want to put up with this, you know, Bush League type behavior. They want serious professionals. And those kind of people are, are not going to be interested in that, that kind of behavior. And anyway, in the heat of battle, trust is the most important cohesive factor for a unit. And you have to be able to trust the people that are side by side with you taking on whatever the challenge might be. We're speaking with Federal News Network Scott Mossione, and the other issue is the level of suicide, which seems almost impervious to what the armed services try to do every year. And tell us some progress or some actions they've taken in the past year and what you see ahead for that issue. Right. Well, in the past, in 2020, we saw the Air Force even have a stand down where they took a day and really just addressed the suicide issue because it was getting so bad. It continues to rise, and especially during the pandemic, because we've seen people have to turn, really just have to deal with the isolation of quarantine, some people turning to drugs or other, uh, you know, way, more negative ways of coping with the loneliness and other issues. The Defense Department is now mandated by Congress to do a, a similar independent review that was done on sexual assault within, for the suicides. That hopefully will bring some outside perspective to the Defense Department, because clearly what they've been doing has not been working. As I said, it's risen year after year, the suicide rate. So uh, it's something that the Defense Department is 1000 percent going to be working on, especially with Congress in this next year. And I would expect that we're going to see new laws and new different kinds of uh, initiatives coming out that are focused more on. Uh, you know, 21st century ideas and, and more experimental ideas compared to what the military has done in the past to help people with these issues. And what about their cooperative collaboration, say, with Veterans Affairs, which has the similar issue on its hands? Right. Well, you know, I, I, I think that the Defense Department is going to continue to work with the VA and the VA also has a robust uh, work with that it does with the, the uh, suicide prevention issues. So uh, they can certainly knock heads together and get this issue in the salient arena that it needs to get in so that they can make this uh, something that is a top priority for personnel. And finally, the pandemic, of course, rocked the military in 20 and 21 to the same extent it did pretty much every other organization. And the we wound up the year with some battles and maybe some settlements over the vaccine mandate. What is the assessment there as to how they'll come out of this going into 2022 with all the deadlines over and whoever's going to be vaccinated probably is by now? Well, I think the Defense Department can say that it was certainly a success when it comes to the vaccinations. They saw high 90 percent uh, vaccination rates when that, th those deadlines passed. The most recent deadline was the Army's December 15th. However, they still have to deal with their reserve units and the National Guard. Those are later dates that they have to consider. Another area where there is some resistance is in those areas. Um, the Air Force is now finally cracking down on the people who are refusing to get vaccines and did not request any sort of exemption for religious, medical, or administrative reasons. So we have seen 27 airmen at this point discharged from the military for that. I would expect in the future to see sailors, airmen, Marines, the Guardians, and everyone else starting to get their discharges as well. Those come between honorable and general discharges with honorable conditions. So, uh, you know, that that is something to deal with, right? Something that they have to think about. And then also the Omicron variant in terms of if, if people need boosters and if the Defense Department will be mandating boosters. The final thing I would say about this is that they really need to think about the contractors. We've seen 
tons of court cases. And right now there's sort of a stay on contractor mandates when it comes to getting vaccines. But we've seen Huntington Ingalls and other and possibly other companies stopping the vaccination mandate because they're afraid of losing workforce. One of the things that these major contractors are going to have to worry about is if their workforce will really go down because they're not interested in getting the vaccine or people are getting sick. So one of the things they're going to have to do is either look closely at how they can keep these weapon systems going and sustained and continue working on the weapon systems that are being built or how they can come to some sort of compromise with their workforce and either get them vaccinated or keep them safe through other means. Federal News Network, Scott Mossione. Check out all of Scott's coverage in 2021 and in 2022 at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the President and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy. Um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything, and it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm I'm currently retired and enjoying life, and um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style, and how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I, we'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it. Um, From Sea to the C-Suite, fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but 
uh, the quality that that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was, you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Um, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell C-Stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. 
and thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler, and to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast. We'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, Think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.